Hey folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel. We've got a terrific episode for you today with Liz Elverenly, um, who is a great comedy writer, a lovely person. Um, you'll hear her credits once we get into it, um, but she's worked on like Grownish, Dollface, I'm Not Okay With This, Disenchanted. She has some really interesting and important valuable, important, probably not, valuable things to say about writing comedic dialogue. Before that, uh, let's check in. We had some, I guess, heartening news from the WGA um, in which they suggest that some of the legacy studios, your Universals, your CBSs, um, CBS Paramount, folks like that um, are getting antsy with the hard line drawn by some of the new streaming services, Netflix and Amazon. Um, And maybe, if not negotiating, at least talking about breaking off. Obviously, this is great news. You know, the more we can break up that ridiculous conglomerate of greedy businesses, the better. Um, And honestly, you know, folks like Universal and CBS, they need to make product. They need to put things on their schedule. And um, honestly, they are, in my perhaps limited experience, um, they're the folks who really care about making things in the same way that we do. You know, uh, the stuff that I've worked on with Universal, um, NBC, USA, uh, as well as CBS in the past couple of years, those experiences have really been great because everybody wants to make cool stuff. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully that's something that's happening. Uh, I guess, you know, we'll, nobody knows anything. We'll keep tuning in and, and find out what the WGA tells us. That is the only trusted source for any information about the strike and about negotiations. Don't listen to rumors. Don't listen to especially social media. Uh, and Deadline, and folks like that. Um, All right, let's just get right into today's episode. As I said, uh, Liz Elverenly is a terrific voice, really funny, um, has some really terrific insights into writing comedic dialogue. She wasn't sure when we first started talking if this would be the topic that she wanted to cover for these craft-centered episodes. But I can't think of um, anyone better qualified. You know, she's written for a bunch of great comedy shows and different kinds of comedy shows, as well as having written different kinds of comedy in her own work, which we'll talk about. Um, There's so much good stuff in here, lots to take, especially if you are a comedy writer. But really, it's applicable to any kind of writing. You know, it's about voice and specificity is kind of the bottom line. Um, But we get into it. Uh, here, uh, here's my conversation with Liz Elverenly. Please remember, if you enjoy this podcast, it is a uh, one-man show. I'm doing this all by myself, and if you would like to support what I'm doing here, please go and subscribe to benblacker.substack.com. Uh, it would really mean the world to me, uh, and honestly, a, a yearly membership, which is only $66, makes a huge difference. You know, I I tend to think my time is worth something. Uh, And these podcasts, these recordings, the booking, the editing do take time. So, you know, if if you've ever found these podcasts helpful, um, 
to your craft, to learning about the business of writing television and film, please consider becoming a subscriber. You also get access to what is essentially a bonus episode in which you ask the questions. You know, we do these live Zoom um, meetings with professional writers. We've had, you know, Jane Espenson and Akela Cooper and uh, Jose Molina and Javier Grail Moxwatch, just almost a dozen now uh, great writers whom I love and respect who have answered your questions uh, on these. So if you become a paid subscriber, you get to join in on those meetings, or if you can't make it, you can listen to them later. So please, again, go to benblacker.substack.com and consider becoming a paid subscriber. It means a lot to me. I appreciate it. We have a lovely community over there, and we'd love to have you be a part of it. All right, here's the episode. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! What I'm going to do is have you introduce yourself on the microphone and tell folks where they may have seen your name on their television screen. Hi, um, I'm Liz Elvrenly. I wrote on um, recently Grownish, um, pre pre strike, and then before that, um, a Hulu show called Dollface, and then a few Netflix shows, um, special. I'm not okay with this. Um, disenchantment and yeah those are the most recent ones but that's me (laughs) that's that's a great resume um before we get into uh the subject that you you suggested which is a great one which is comedic dialogue um i want to you know check on your mental health you know we're still on strike How are you holding up? Uh, how is your picketing or non-picketing? Are you be able to work for yourself during this time? How are things going? Yeah, it's funny. It's been the true evolution. Like I, and I feel very privileged because I was lucky to be able. I was like in the thick of a job, like right before, and had been working kind of a lot. And so for the first like month, I was like, ah, oh, a forced break. Like obviously support all the reasons, but I was like, I get it go to a dinner I get to see friends I haven't seen I was just like on the picket line five days a week like getting that vitamin d and you know uh getting my steps in and then month two I was like okay all right and now I'm like bordering on unwell so (laughs) it's been an arc it's been a true character arc for me emotionally as would be in a film what so what are you doing these days to try to maintain some semblance of mental health how are you how are you keeping yourself sane Well, it's a mixture of things like I uh, truly, I have to be honest, did not even crack final draft open until a few weeks ago. Like I let myself just like lean into the life things that I was missing before. And like, you know, I got into photography and like just spent time with people I hadn't seen in so long. And then now I so I don't feel like a complete waste of space. I've been trying to truly like lean into the joy of being creative again without the like harboring deep resentment for the AMPTP overriding that, you know, drive to, to work. So it's been a balance and a shift, but yeah, that's where I'm at. That listen, this sounds okay. And I think your story is not unusual. It feels like I've had this conversation with a bunch of people, both on the podcast and on the picket line, like for a good six weeks, we're like, yeah, no, I can't get anything done. I can't concentrate more than 15 minutes at a time. No, and I think that's okay. Like, I think a lot of us are realizing, and you know, like, I do realize, like, there's a mixture of 
like everyone's career is different. And I feel like so lucky that I, I like wanted a break, but I think the point that we all were, a lot of us have come to realize is like the grind that we were in before was also not sustainable. Like so rarely do we get a forced breather. Cause you're all, like, as a writer, you're, you always have homework. You always are like, I'm doing a pitch. Like I'm doing unpaid work so that I can sell a thing or be ready. And like, maybe this is, also a chance for some people to be like I actually need a reset you know a true pause that I've not been able to take before you know and and that is a lucky thing to experience but I think a lot of people I talked to felt that as well so we were just not in a mental place to even keep powering through right at the beginning at least Absolutely. I also know, you know, a, a lot of us especially, you know, I I've, I've been in comedy for a long time too and like it felt weird to even try to make jokes and stuff like it felt sort of like that that lockdown pandemic time also like i don't why am i making jokes oh so, yeah what were you able to start writing comedy again once you sat down at your computer again a few weeks ago yes yes i think this is it's so true though like sometimes things are so dark like i think that also the mixture of like which you know the agency fight and then the pandemic and then this like th- this career and life is already like such an uphill like shit show for most people that without that already set instability that it was when this happened it was like here we go again like I had a hard time even accessing you know my black comedy roots even that was like hard to summon but now I think I've circled back there and and just like in life like the, the reason I got into comedy is it's like you have to find the levity and the lightness and like the most you know horrific and like kind of defeatist positions you find yourself in so i've circled back but it did it took me took me a minute (laughs) um i want to hear about that what what was the stuff that you know as a young person even as as a kid that you responded to in comedy what is sort of in your comedy dna yeah well it's funny i'm such a i say this with nothing but love and respect to my wonderful family but i grew up like with such earnest human beings that the first time i was like exposed to funny people really was sort of tv and i was like oh wait a second i'm i'm attaching to this and i'm i'm such a child of early like 2000s wb shows so like dawson's creek like gilmore girls felicity like i was such a teen of that era um roswell like i and so for me i remember in real time watching gilmore girls and being like what is wait 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 like what's happening here? I'm laughing. Like I'm so attached to these, this mother daughter relationship, but it was the first time that I remember watching a thing and specifically the dialogue, which is kind of why I chose this subject we're talking about today. But I was like, this is magic to me. Like, it's so funny. It's so real. And I'm just like endlessly entertained. And so that era for me was really the thing that kind of started my interest. And then I didn't watch in real time because I was like, I think five or six, but I remember distinctly when I was, I think in either high school or beginning of college, I went back and watched my so-called life. And that was the thing that I was like, I want to be a TV writer. I was so blown away and like affected emotionally by that show as so many people are. Um, And it's funny, like a bunch of the writers I've worked with, like one of my best friend, like one of my good friends, Ryan O'Connell references it all the time. So there's a lot of people I've worked with that we were all point to that show and say, that's the show that kind of informed our you know sensibility our style but even just inspired us that like you could write a show like that where you have such distinct like 
observant teenagers, but they're also, they sound like teenagers, you know, like it's funny and poignant and like so acutely observant, but they also say like every other word like teenagers do. And so, yeah, I think that one for me was it, it, I watched at a point in my life when I was deciding what the hell to do with my life. And that was the thing where I was like, I want to do what these people do for a living. Um, so how did you, and you know, this is a little bit of, you know, your origin story, but how did you start to turn that into writing as a career? Like, it's one thing to know you want to do it. It's another thing to do it. Well, I got, I truly, this is going to make people want to like murder me in a back alley, but I really got like the luckiest. I just got so lucky. I was, went to school for it, you know, was trying and writing things and struggling. And then I was like, in this weird celebrity assistant barrel after college where I was like, just like, I don't, this is not what I want to do. Like I want to work in like scripted television. And I got an assistant job because of my friend, um, Sarah Hayward, who's just a wonderful human being and amazing writer. But we met and literally I was taking a, um, a UCLA extension course at night, like while I was being like a celebrity assistant on the side, just like broke and, you know, hating my life a little bit. And she was like, hey, there's this new show on HBO called Girls that I'm working on. If you would want to come like be an assistant on that. And I remember reading the pilot and I like everyone when they react to that show. But I would I freaked out. I was like this. I've never read anything like this. Like, what is this? Like, I just want to do anything I can. So I, I started as um Jenny Connor's assistant on that show. Um, and I'm so sorry to Jenny. I was truly the world's worst assistant she admits it she was like I love you to death but yeah (laughs) that was that was tough like I'm not type a I'm not organized I'm truly a nightmare but gift of that and I really don't know if I would have a career if I didn't get to start that way I got to sit in that room and kind of like listen to to Lena and Jenny and all those amazing writers and like just kind of get an education on like truly the biggest show at the time. And it was such a gift because I think in terms of voice too, like I, before that I was writing scripts and trying my best, but I think I was really trying to sound like other people like sitcoms or whatever. And when I was around Lena, like, and, and all those writers, but they're all, they're all so talented. I was like, Oh, you can just write the raw real version like you don't have to like it doesn't have to sound like someone's on tv you can just say like you can write down the really weird kind of crass thing that your friend said inappropriately like after the worst sex she's ever had you know so that I just got lucky and I and I wrote a pilot while I was on that show and um people helped me and were really kind and I think um just getting an education of being in that room and writing a pilot and and I got agents and that's kind of how it how it started but really just luck of the draw was the beginning but but like we we all have these stories right like so much of it is right time right place but then being the person who can seize on that opportunity and you know hopefully has the talent to create that script that that takes us to the next step um let's talk about what that script was because it's it's interesting like looking at your resume you've you've worked on hard joke shows and you've worked on, you know, real character based comedy, like you're talking about with girls. What was that? You know, what were these initial sample scripts that you were sending out? Well, you know, what's funny is there's two, there's two steps and there are two scripts and it, it is. So I wrote a script that when I was in, when I was on that show that when I tell you it was not 
a good idea. It was not structured correctly. It was kind of a flaming pile of like a mess in terms of like, ooh, this is a great world. But what I do think it had, which people told me at least, is that I do think it was like a voice and 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 the, again, why I kind of chose this subject. Like I still, I don't feel very adept at many things in writing still to this day, but I knew that I could write like funny, specific dialogue. And that's the thing that got me attention. Like people, I think it stood out at least to reps and and the first job I got, bless her for hiring me because I was still learning. Um, Laura and Unirek on Awkward read that script. And I think like, you know, I don't, nobody was like, this is an amazing idea and structured perfectly. And you understand story so well. They were like, you have a really strong voice. <laughs> Good job, you know? So, so that I think indicated like, okay, I can do this part. And maybe if I really learn the other things, um, I'm capable of doing that. So I, I wrote that, got my first, it, it, it happened too quickly, truly for like a 23 year old. Like I wrote that script in a week, got agents. And then my first staff job was awkward and got it. And I was like, oh, writing, being a writer is so easy. I don't know what everybody's talking about. Like, and then I did not work for two years. Cause like that show ended and that actually was such a gift because I I do think I got it a little bit too easily and wasn't really I had to like learn and I read more scripts and I like learned more about structure and all these things. And then I credit one of my best friends, um, who's also a genius writer who you should have on. His name's Jared Frieder. And it was a few years later and I had to go back to nannying. Like I really was like kind of struggling. And he was staffing um, a mini room for what for a show that he was gonna run um and it was an hour long dramedy but he was like hey you gotta write a new sample he was like I really want you on this show but like the sample you have isn't exactly the right fit and I had just gone through this you know I don't probably need to talk about it on the podcast but a personal life romantic entanglement that was like traumatic in its own way for me and he you know, because he was my best friend, knew about it. I was like, you got to write this story. And I was like, no, I'm not over it. Like, I'm so sensitive still. Like, I don't, he's like, you got to write it. And you got to write it in two weeks because the executives need to read it. And I need to get you in this room. So in two weeks, I figured out what about what happened in real life was valuable, what I needed to change to make certain people more sympathetic. And I kind of wrote the thing I was scared to write, which I had someone force me to do. And that script still has gotten me every single job I've ever gotten. So that one was the real like turning point where I just, because I think the second thing for me too is realizing like, not that you always have to write something that literally happened to you. Obviously that's not the case, but it, it was emotionally resonant because it, it just had happened to me and I felt all these emotions about it still, but I also knew how it was funny and ridiculous and, and I think it was a real clear indication of like who I am as a writer and my sense of humor. And the main character was like a surrogate for me. So it also helped as a sample because it was like the lead is a half Turkish lesbian, you know, who like falls for emotionally unavailable women. So that was the main, the main character too. So it was very like, I think it was, I did it in a very calculated way too, of like, this is what I'm capable of as a writer, but this is also like the worldview I'm bringing to the world, which like my dad's a 
immigrant and like, you know, that my family experience and like my, you know, I'm a queer woman and, and, but I dated many straight women. Like that was all funny, but also a very specific worldview that I think I brought to that script. So that's the one that's got me pretty much every staff job since, since then. Which, which totally makes sense, right? Like that's, that's the stuff people respond to. It's, it's not just yeah. the great dialogue or even like the hooky premise. It's what is this writer's worldview? But let's talk about the great dialogue. Um, presumably the script had that as well. And you've gotten to do that now on a bunch of shows. What's the way in? How do you start to form this, you know, comedic dialogue? Well, I think, you know, I'm sure every writer is so much smarter than me. has said this on many a podcast, but it all, you have to have the other things working before that can work. So like with comedy specifically, especially TV comedy, it's so character based. So, you know, I think the best comedies are you put four people in a room and they all, you, one thing can happen and they all have four distinct varying POVs about that thing happening, you know? And so I think for me, like the most helpful advice and tool that I learned was like the funniest dialogue is never, and I made this mistake in my first, in my first few scripts, like the, nev- the funniest stuff is usually, unless you're a 30 rock writer, which they're geniuses, like a pop culture reference or like a pun, like it's attitude. It's like, how is this character and what about their psychology in this scene is so distinct and funny and specific. And you can always go back to that. And I think you just heighten it. So it's like, if someone is like, really insecure what is the most specific line that they're like don't have the character be like i'm insecure right now what are they how are they covering that you know like so yeah that's the part that's kind of a fun um writing funny dialogue is the only part of this writing process that i truly just experience joy and not deep agony and pain every part every other part i'm like oh god okay act two isn't working like (laughs) what do we do but I think once you know what a scene is and once you are either on a show or you're doing your own show that has very distinct characters with like, you know, psychological quirks that, you know, really, really deeply, you just get to have fun and kind of play pinball with those characters against each other. And and that's the best part to me. There's so much loaded into that. And, and like we can let's take that apart for a second, because part of it is perspective, right? Uh, this character's perspective on the world, on the situation. Um, part of it is this character's own neuroses, <laughs> this, you know, what this character has going on in their own head. How do you start to, and, you know, then there's moving the plot along and there's also making a joke sometimes. How do you start to put all that stuff together so it is both efficient and effective? I, yeah, I think it's, it's a combination of things that's like, well, a lot of this goes back to just like, not even just dialogue, but like blanketly, what are the best, like the best ways to write a scene or it's like, don't have a character say exactly what they feel. But then if that character is like someone who like, like bad version is, you know, okay. A person's in a situation where they think their partner is cheating on them and they, they, they're like, where were you last night? And you know, that other character is like, gonna lie, but is like kind of insecure. And then, you know, just with human psychology that, okay, when, when a person lies, they don't just say like, oh, I was 
I would I stayed in. They overcorrect and give way too many details. So maybe that character is super insecure and absolutely was cheating on someone, but says like, you know, oh, I was driving to the grocery store and I hit a cat on the way and killed it. And now I have to live with that forever. <laughs> You're like, what? Like just just finding specific ways I think that you can lean into whatever you know about that character and how they present in certain situations but then finding the really specific like slightly left of center way to reveal that in a line you know is is something that I think is always my approach is like what's the obvious version okay let's put that to the side then how do you drill down and get like really specific and and then you get the funniest stuff I think usually yeah I mean it sounds also like a big part of it for you is like finding the reality of that character and then extrapolating from that. Yeah. I mean, that's the stuff. And again, I'm such a fan of, I love anything. Like I'll go full broad comedy. I'm a huge fan of, but my, the, my favorite, favorite stuff. And the thing that I think I pitch and, and try to write on any of my own solo stuff is usually like a naturalistic comedy, like a more grounded character driven, like version where Yes, it's a funny line, but like it sounds a little bit more like a real person would say it and not just like a really funny crafted, like it sounds like 10 writers pitched on that one line for, for you know, 30 minutes and got like the funniest one. I, I really connect to those shows and, and writers that kind of write something that just feels real, but it feels like real in the way that you're like, oh my God, that's insane that that person said that, but that is exactly what they would say in that situation, you know? I, I remember hearing this years ago and it's something I tell my classes too when when I'm teaching that like we should be able to recognize what character saying it even if the dialogue is isolated yes totally I mean that's like every and all the shows I've been on I've been so lucky that like that is the case on even though, like like on Cronish or Dollface or Special like you can't swap like that, that was that's when you know creators done a great job is like kind of the thing we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation, but if every character has a distinct kind of worldview and, and just even speech pattern, like that's, you will, you should not be able to swap out any sort of specific line, except for maybe like, yeah, as an answer to something with, with another character, you know? Um, and that's, that's fun. That's when, you know, like you, you've got a really like a great show that's firing on all cylinders. where like, any situation in any scene you're gonna be able to write everybody coming at it from a different point of view and that's always really fun when you're working on your own stuff what is the what does the dialogue process look like for you uh you know how, when are you finding these speech patterns or these character specific things to say no that's a great question it's something i'm still learning about my process too but i think I, I try to really drill down and know, like, I'm not one of those writers that writes like three pages on like where they graduated high school. Like, I don't do that, but I at least know their very like basic characteristics and kind of like psychology. And like we said, again, the, I'm sorry, I said it 18 times, but worldview. And then I do try to picture an actor. Like I, even if it's never going to be that person, I kind of assign an archetype in my head so that I'm literally picturing that actor actress like saying those words that that's kind of helpful to me just for clarity and then this is every writing advice ever but I'm also not afraid to write the bad version so like I'll write a scene and I'll try to be funny but sometimes I'll write the most obvious joke or like 
even a joke I've heard somewhere else where I'm like, I didn't write this. And I'll, you know, I'll be like, I'm not going to keep that in the script, but this is the kind of thing this character would say in this situation. And then I just kind of like rewrite and go back and find um, the, the left of center version. I think it's always that. It's like, what is the obvious joke? And then what's the like a little bit more specific or interesting way that this can be revealed or articulated and, and then just kind of keep going back. But the thing that I have done, which is like uh, horrible to admit, is sometimes I'll, I, I find it so arduous, but like sometimes I, I if I really don't want to write a scene, I'll write like even a dialogue exchange that's like two thirds of the way through the scene that I love so that I am excited enough to get back, get back to that exchange. And then sometimes the whole scene will change because that doesn't make sense. But sometimes I just have to get excited about a scene or a moment and I'll write the dialogue there that I know you know, some version of will hold and I'll just like reverse engineer to that moment, which is a crazy way to do it. But yeah. But you're doing the part that is fun for you. Yeah. And then getting there, you know, like I, I absolutely understand that ramp up, especially on, you know, when you're working on someone else's show, it often feels like so much of it because like, I, I'm sure the shows you've worked on are similar to the ones I have where like you hammer out an outline as a group and then you go off on script um, and and it feels like as much as there can be bits in there, it's like you're just moving that plot forward. So how do you keep it funny and, and interesting and keep those characters alive? Yeah, yeah. well, you know, what's funny is I think that that's something that I love about comedy is the thing that I it can be very clunky and difficult to navigate in drama or any other genre is you get to kind of hide it in a joke. So like if there's a scene about really exposition, like. I would not be as good as a drama writer and being like, oh, how do I get out that like these two characters have been together for seven years? But like if you're but that we need to know that for whatever the, the next scene is where in a comedy, you can kind of be like, you know, bad version, like the girl's like, yeah, we've been together for seven years, but he's still not comfortable enough to shit in front of me. Like, that's not it. But, you know, just something where you get a hide kind of the 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 labor, the thing that's hard to do in writing in comedy is something I find like a fun challenge to do with plot points. Same thing, like, how, you know, revealing things or moving scenes forward. Like if you can find a, a, a really funny way to do it, then it, it gets less clunky and is great. Yeah, it's it's that's a good lesson for anyone listening who is like writing their first uh, comedy spec is like you get to hide the exposition. It's It's great. Yeah. And there's people that do it amazing. Like, I'm it's just so, because, like, again, that's something just in general with writing that I find hard when you're like, I really do have to get out this information. But, you know, it becomes a fun game with in a, in a comedy genre, at least. Yeah. I mean, do you, did you have comedy training? Did you do, like, this UCB or Second City or any of this stuff? No, no. That's what's, like, deeply no. I'm so <laughs> not a my greatest fear, this is why I was like, oh my God, should I, am I going to do this podcast? I, to hold a microphone, to be on a stage, to be in front of a camera is nothing I ever need <laughs> in my life. So, and I'm deeply insecure about comedy, to be honest, but I just, I think that I was such a fan of it that I, I knew that, I, I mean, I just got lucky to do it with that first assistant job, but I, I just kind of learned from reading and being a fan of all the things that I kind of was influenced by growing up so I would go back and like even the shows I referenced earlier like my so-called life or Gilmore Girls or like 
you know, oh, I was a huge Will and Grace fan. That was one of my favorite like sitcoms. I would go find the scripts and just read them and kind of like try to train myself on how to emulate like those kinds of scripts. So no, I was deeply afraid of like ever taking a comedy class and kind of just tried to become my own teacher with just reading a lot and watching a lot and kind of breaking down how they did that. And I would read every like screenwriting book and listen to podcasts and stuff. But um, no, I think I tried to slowly teach myself how to be funnier and, you know, <laughs> over time. But um, no, I, I'm I'm in awe of anybody that did any improv because I would my soul would leave my body standing on a stage <laughs> at any point. Oh, absolutely. And honestly, like I'm I'm thrilled to hear that there are, you know, pure comedy writers who are not also performers out there. Yeah, it's a rare I it is kind of a rarity. Like and I have a lot of wonderful people, friends that came up through UCB and they're always like, Oh, you're a UCB too. I was like, No, no, no. <laughs> I I'm in awe of you guys, but it it couldn't couldn't be me. But that that suggests a question to me because like there's one thing it's one thing to learn that like that's that's what I did too right I read scripts I watched TV I loved comedy and learned how to put it on the page doing it in a room a, a writer's room is a different thing how did you adapt to that I mean you know so I love being in a room like even though I've been in some I mean as we all have that are like weird personalities or like tension like I've been pretty knock on wood lucky where I haven't been in like truly a toxic crazy nightmare situation um but that that was my real like joy in school was just like being around other funny people and watching what they did and like certainly when I was a lower level writer like you know waiting for your moment and learning kind of like what would hit and what wouldn't and just uh, being a sponge at first more at the beginning of your career not to say like obviously I pitched and you know spoke up and everything but I I really tried to know what I didn't know when I was younger and 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 those lower level jobs and I got to be in these rooms with like I mean even like disenchantment was like Simpsons writers you know and I was like shaking like a leaf because I was so (laughs) intimidated but I like even that room I would say, and I was only on that show for a year, but I was not a good hard joke. I just, my stuff was more dramedy and like character driven. And then you literally had to just pitch like seven jokes on one line, like in quick succession. And and it was like a firing squad in a good way that I, I just, it's just reps. I had to, I had to get better at it. And now like grownish, like I do finally feel like, I'm not always going to have the best joke, but I can do it in a pinch no matter what now. And I think it was just all these rooms that I got to be around really people way funnier and smarter and more interesting than me. And I just tried to absorb absolutely everything that I loved about each of them, you know, and, and the, uh, the great thing about these rooms too, is like, um, you know, even on in Cronish and special and Dollface, like every, everyone has such a distinct, like, sense of comedy and point of view in themselves or like you can look at it I can read any script on any of these shows and like be like that oh that's my friend Mariah's joke or that's like that's no one else could pitch that joke even though it works for the character but she's that's her you know that that becomes fun too um so yeah just getting to be in rooms and learning from people way more esteemed than me was great it raises an interesting point, I think, you know, like such a big part of the job when you're on staff on a show is is emulating the voice of the showrunner and and those first couple of scripts, right? You also are hired because of your point of view, because you can write jokes. 
um, or, or write character based humor. How do you balance that stuff? And are you a good mimic in that way? Yeah, I think it's so funny. I truly am not confident in the slightest in most things in life, but I think that is something that finally now I feel confident in being like, I am a, I am a good mimic of whatever show I'm on, but it took me, it took me a minute. And I think that's maybe something that not that anyone should ever listen to any advice I give, but I, the only concrete thing I would say to like, you know, coming up is your job is to write the best version of your showrunner's show and his, and his or her vision their tone their voice like it is not your job to get your version of the the scene and dialogue that like you would put in your pipe like it's just not your job and not to say you can't have things in these other shows that are so distinctly you and like absolutely work within the world and the characters and everything like of course but i think when you let you should not be pushing your own agenda forward it should always be like what is the best version of this show that this other person created and how can I be in service of that? And and not being precious, like I really, I'm sure I've had my moments of ego, of course, but like those are my favorite other writers in the room where it's like, if your idea is not the idea, you gotta let it go and that's okay. And like, let's just all collectively work to what is the best version of this for this episode or this scene or this joke. Um, but yeah, and I just, I really, I had to learn it and I would read like, you know, especially shows that were existing, like I would always read every, ask the assistant, like, can I get every script from past seasons? Can I get every outline? Can I get just being a really good kind of like a student in that regard of just absorbing as much of the thing that you're on as you can so that by the time you get assigned a script, you're like, I know exactly what kind of jokes are going to go in this script. Like, even if I'm nervous about whatever I'm turning in, I know that I'm kind of matching a cadence and a rhythm and a, and a tone that is, that I've read in all these other scripts and stuff, but it is, yeah, it's, um, I think I'm finally better at that, but it is a skill set that I think you just have to learn and get reps in and, and kind of, you know, evolve into, but yeah, still. And there's things, there are shows that I would be horrible, like that. I'm like, I could, if you put me on, like, I'm trying to think like, well this is rough but like csi i could not match the tone of that probably with a gun to my head and having read every episode you know what are the hard parts for you when it comes to writing comedic dialogue oh yeah that's a good question i think hmm not writing the obvious version because i think there are there really are like joke patterns and and stereotypes and cliches that like just find their way into things so like that mixed with a time crunch because when you're on a staff and you're like oh my god i have to i have to read the scripts in three days or maybe a night or maybe i have to read like you know my greatest fear which happens constantly is when they're like hey you need to go write, rewrite the scene in like 45 minutes and you're like okay but what if i don't come up with anything funny in 40 45 minutes like the best way to write comedy is under pressure oh god i mean i'm still learning that and it's still hard and i'm really in awe of the people that can do it every single time without fail I'm not I'm not there yet but I think you just yeah it's just not finding the obvious version and pushing your brain to the weird to the weird part that can get something really specific and funny and and usually without fail if I'm kind of laughing at myself writing the line then that's the one that will hit and make the other people in the room laugh but I do find that I find what we talked about but like when you have to do the laborious parts of like exposition and uh, this scene 
you know, like I was, I would say that a lot of my showrunner bosses will probably say this is one of my faults. Like the short version and not the long version with jokes is hard. I always want to write the four page scene where you get every joke and every pivot and every, you know, reference. And then you're like, wait, I have to do this in half a page and be funny. Well, okay. I don't know that, that part I find it's tough. I always have to write the long version and then pare down and pare down and pare down and pare down. That was, listen, that was, that was the trick to Gilmore girls, right? She wrote the long version and just told them to talk faster. And that's why she's a genius. So, you know, <laughs> maybe someday. Yeah, those scripts were like 70 pages, right? So you said something. I know. Those and, and the West Wing scripts were so long. Yeah. But like, that's what you're watching them for, yeah. is that dialogue. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are you watching these days? What's getting you excited, inspired? What comedies are great? I need to watch some comedies. Yeah, well, I think. I've heard, you know, other people say this too, too, but it is, sometimes it is hard because you feel like it, when you're a comedy writer, like I can't not turn my brain off. I still enjoy it, but it's hard to not be doing the math of, you know, kind of analyzing what they're doing or where something's going to go all the time. But I just, I just watched, you're going to be like, duh, it's nominated for all the Emmys, but I had COVID again and was like in deep, deep hell, thought, thought I was going to die. And I watched Bad Sisters and it was, it's, Sharon Horgan, I've been a, such a crazy obsessed fan of her. I think she's so deeply talented and amazing. And the fact that she does just out outputs as much as she does is crazy to me and wears so many hats. But that show I just was obsessed with. And I thought it was like the perfect mixture of like black, dark comedy, but like a show with a lot of drive. And you're always kind of kind of guessing what happened and like very specific drawn amazing female characters i'll watch anything that's you know has that in it so i love that you're gonna be like the i roll the bear i just watched season two and had a mental breakdown watching that one episode <laughs> like everybody does um yeah those are the main two i think those are these are good answers i think folks could do a lot a lot worse than to watch these um liz thank you so much for chatting thank you thank you so much it was an honor <laughs>